In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The phrase literally is damned if you do, damned if you don't. Our Lord healed the sick, raised the dead, and they said, he's evil. He has supernatural power from the evil one. He casts out demons. He sends them away to where they belong. And they say, he's doing it by the power of the evil one. He blesses, and they say, he's bad. He curses, and they say, he's bad. A seminary professor not too long ago commented that priests, likewise, have the power to bless and the power to curse. In fact, maybe they should spend a little more time using the second power, the neglected one. Blessings are like curses. Some are reserved to particular people in particular stations of life. Parents can bless their children. Deacons can bless some things, not people. Priests can bless many people, many things, but some blessings even are reserved for bishops. Curses likewise. In general, you're not encouraged to get into the business whatsoever. But our Lord did. He cursed the fig tree and withered it and condemned it as a warning to us. Christ has the power to heal and to save and to rescue from death. And he has the power to curse and to damn. Before our Lord cursed that fig tree, which happened the day after Palm Sunday, according to Matthew's Gospel and St. Mark's Gospel, some weeks prior, recorded by St. Luke, whose Gospel we read today, just uh, a little prior to this episode with the parable of the cursed fig tree, our Lord told a story. He was warning people about drawing too many unwise conclusions from bad things that happened to people, presuming that the tower that fell on those people and killed them must have been a, must have been a curse and must have been punishment for something bad they had done. N- not so quickly. And he warns us, if we don't repent of our sins, the same thing will happen to us. To press the point, he tells the parable about the cursed fig tree. There once was a person who had a fig tree planted in his orchard. And when he came in search of fruit on it, but found none, he said to the gardener, For three years now I have come in search of fruit on this fig tree, but have found none. So cut it down. Why should it exhaust the soil? The gardener said to him in reply, Sir, leave it for this year also, and I shall cultivate the ground around it and fertilize it. It may bear fruit in the future. If not, you can cut it down. At the end of that discourse, in this midsection of St. Luke's Gospel, particularly just a few verses after this parable of the cursed fig tree, that it says that our Lord began the road to Jerusalem, his final journey to the holy city where he would die and rise from the dead. The parable of the cursed fig tree is much more than just a parable. It's a cliffhanger because we don't know what happens a year later. What we do know is that our Lord, likewise, is going to do everything possible to save us. He will die on the cross and on the third day rise from the dead to atone, to atone for all of our sins, 
to redeem all of us, to make it possible for us to avail ourselves of the grace that comes from the blood of the cross and be saved. He doesn't want to give up on us, but eventually our time will be up. And when our time is up, if we are in the state of grace, we will go directly to heaven or to purgatory on the way to heaven. And if we're not in the state of grace, we go to hell. If we end up in hell, it will only be our own fault. It won't be God's fault. The parable of the cursed fig tree is more than a parable also because, well, our Lord actually did that. He doesn't just tell a story about a fig tree being uprooted. He actually cursed the fig tree. Weeks later, maybe days later, but probably weeks later, after going through Samaria, after going through Jericho, there's a few episodes in the Gospels on the way down to our Lord's last entry into Jerusalem. And the day after his entry into Jerusalem, the day after Palm Sunday, St. Mark and St. Matthew record this event. As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. As they went along in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. St. Mark is very careful to point out that it was not yet the season for figs. And so mischief makers, be it 2,000 years ago or in the present day, turn this inside out, just like the Pharisees did, and try to show that Jesus really was a bad person. He was unfair to the fig tree. He should have realized that it wasn't the season for figs and should have let it grow. Obviously, this only comes from people who are using the narrative to twist it inside out for their own purposes. As it turns out, fig trees bear fruit twice in a year early summer, and late summer. And before the early summer harvest in the springtime, the fig trees show little, little figs, tiny figs. There's a special name even for these tiny figs. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's spelled T-A-K-S-H. And so these tiny figs, most of which fall off, actually sometimes grow and ripen and would be sold in market. But a fig tree that doesn't show these tiny figs will certainly be barren in the later months of the summer. And we know that it was springtime. We know that it was the day after Palm Sunday. We know then it was this, just a few days before Passover. 
So it was April. It was the time for the, the tiny figs, not the, not the figs that people would usually pick and eat. But it was the time when you can tell, is this thing which is showing leaves now actually going to bear fruit? So believe it or not, our Lord actually knew what he was doing. It's good to know the details because it'd be too easy for us who, who acknowledge the inerrancy of Scripture to draw some kind of outlandish interpretation in his favor, right? It'd be too easy for us to look at an old passage that sort of refers to, to figs and, and conclude that our Lord is showing that we should be bearing fruit supernaturally, beyond our nature, before our time, by, the, by some other power other than what we can account for. And that would be nice, which is to say favorable, but not really helpful. Some people even point to the passage in, in Micah, in the Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 1, Woe is me, for I have come as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the vintage has been gleaned, and there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig which my soul desires. This isn't an early before season phenomenon, but this is actually something that would have been understood to the people paying attention. And so our Lord needs us to know that he can bless and give life and he can curse and take life away. And there is no one in any category, in any special designation, who's free from the possibility of damnation. It's appropriate then at this juncture of Lent to consider, are our observances bearing fruit? Maybe not the eventual fruit of how this will all play out over the course of time, but are we seeing the, the little fruit, the beginning fruit, the tiny figs? Are our penances making us more charitable? Or are they making you more irritable? In which case, change your plan. Are your prayers making you more resigned to, to God's will and prompt in serving him? Or are they making you more self-absorbed and vain? Well, change how you're praying. It's possible to know early on if where we're headed is the right direction. Where we will end up could be something like that burning bush. Consumed by flame, but not singed. Actually showing the effects of some supernatural power, the very presence of God himself. Where will we be in a year? How will our story end? What will happen after the Lord gives us one more chance to benefit from his death on the cross and his three days in the tomb? We will either be a plant good for nothing except to be trampled underfoot and thrown out, or we actually will be ablaze with the glory of God. We pray then for wisdom to recognize whether or not we are spinning our wheels 
or if we are making progress. And we recognize that mountain that needs to be moved. Our Lord makes that reference in the context of being forgiven of our sins and forgiving others. What greater mountain is there that we would want to move than the guilt and the burden of the sins we've committed? St. John reminds us that if you have sins that are not deadly, pray, you'll be freed from them. If you have sins that are deadly, praying alone doesn't fix them. But we know that if we acknowledge these sins in the presence of our Lord's minister, the apostle, the bishop, the priest, duly ordained, if we have confidence that he can be the instrument of God's grace and can remove these sins, then all we need to do is speak of them, and they are gone, and the mountain has been thrown into the sea. We pray that every Christian know that confidence of seeking our Lord's power to touch the hem of his cloth, to be the beneficiary of the priest's stole, and to be free, and to proclaim to others the power that has been given to us. And so with many opportunities to make a good confession and to encourage others to come as well, not just at times when there are many people and the lines are long, but times when there's, when there's peace and quiet and there's time to, to unburden your soul in the presence of Christ exposed on the altar. We pray not only that in a year's time all of the good that God has done will show fruit in our lives, but that many others who are on the road to perdition have been brought back to life. That the mute will have been given speech, the deaf will be able to hear, and the dead will walk among us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.